You're listening to locally produced programming created in KUNV Studios on public radio, KUNV 91.5. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. Good morning, and thank you for joining me for The Scoop with Tanya Flanagan. I'm so happy you decided to wake up and start your day with me. Here on The Scoop, where we talk about life, joy, funny moments, trending topics, and so much more. We promise to keep you in the know and find out what you know. So, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another Sunday morning here on The Scoop. Thank you for waking up and joining me. I'm Tanya Flanagan, your host. It is beautiful outside and I hope you've had a great week and getting ready to start a new one. Today I have the pleasure of continuing um, my Man on the Streets series. We introduced this a few weeks ago. You might recall our first guest was um, cannabis guru Aisha Goins. Well, today I have a dear friend who I've known for about 20 years, whose life is fascinating. It's interesting. Um, he probably thinks it's simple, but I think it's those of us who think our lives are simple don't realize how interesting um, we are and how much we have a great story to tell and to share. So I am so happy to have sitting across from me with his cup of coffee, Alex Bernal. I love to call him Alejandro. Alex Bernal um, in the studio with me. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Tanya. Thank you for getting up and spending some time with me. I know that by day you are a program supervisor for Clark County's Parks and Recreation. And that sounds like um, sort of a normal job, right? But by night, or what I know about you is you're everything from a foster dad to you're my personal DJ. So whenever I want some cool neo soul sounds i say hey alex have you heard of this artist or whatever hey what can you what can you give me on this and alex will put together the best flavor and it flows it is wonderful i have full cds of all loose ends tracks kim tracks um i remember when i discovered molly music on the gospel side and alex said have you been cheating on me And I was like, no, but what do you know about this? So I just want to know, like, music is a a passion, a space of passion for me. It it speaks to you as well. But what's your roots in that? And how'd you get into that space, the DJ space? Oh, wow. Um, You know, my father was into music. He always had vinyls and he listened to everything. And uh, I would just go and when he would leave to work, I would just sneak over there and just play the music. And uh, eventually... I hooked up with a gentleman here uh, out of Vegas. His name was uh, George Lester. Uh, in the community, he was known as Hurt 'em Bad. He was probably one of the, he's the pioneer of DJs here in Vegas. Mm. And he worked with my dad. So he uh, kind of took me under his wing and um, took me to my first DJ gig at the age of 10, I think, at oh, El Dorado. Wow. It was an El Dorado high school dance at 1979. Here I am, a little kid in elementary <laughs> school, looking at all these grown teenagers dancing. And uh, it just kind of fascinated me, music and it's always been in my DNA, and uh, I love all types of music. And I was about to say, what's your favorite genre? Oh, neo soul. Neo okay. soul is my favorite genre, but I'll listen to country, rock, you name it. If it has a nice beat or good lyrics, I feed into that. Best concert you've ever gone to? 
Ooh, great question. Man, uh, Musicology Prince, um, mm. that concert was amazing. But, I mean, I love Frankie Beverly. I've been to Frankie Sade's. So here's the, the to know if you're a true Frankie connoisseur, how many Frankie Beverly and Mays concerts have you attended? You know, that's a great question because I remember uh, someone <laughs> that posted that on social media. And, <laughs> and uh, I just remember I was like, I had to count because mm-hmm. uh, I want to say maybe close to seven times. Okay. And every time are. I go, it's like the f- first time. And I know his voice isn't as strong as it used to be, but he don't need to sing no more. We'll sing for him. Isn't that like the phenomenon with him? Um, I have had a lot of conversations with people about how Frankie's voice is deteriorated over the years, bless his heart. But when you go, people wear their white and people sing the song. So, he, you know, he doesn't have to. We know the lyrics. Um, we love the music. I think I've seen the show like five times. And I mean, the epitome of locations. Closing out an Essence Music Festival in New Orleans in the Superdome. That is unparalleled to see Mays play. The Superdome was amazing. You know, that's the one thing I have not have done yet is gone to an essence. should go. One day. It is, um, it's, I'm sure, it's, I've been in years, and I'm sure it's very different than what it used to be, but it is a mix of um, spiritual balance, just good time, love, people from all over the place. You have workshops, you have vendors, you have good food, you have music, and then you just have all of the culture mixed in that is New Orleans that makes um, New Orleans what it is. And that's a that's on my bucket list of cities. I I'm so, still haven't got to New Orleans either. Yeah. Shame on me. Mm-hmm. And you know, just prepare to you know be a little hot because it's um it's always in July. It's Fourth of July weekend, and it's hot, but it is it's a good time. Good seafood, good food in general. Have some beignets. Um, So we have this love of music between us. and um, But also, and you used to actually, when I used to do Urban League Young Professionals, you would come out and do our events and stuff. So we go way back. We also go back with another jewel, Camp Brotherhood, Camp Sisterhood, and recently the county, the parks and recreation that you're a part of, dedicated a recreation center in honor of Melvin. Some of them know him as Beetle, but we affectionately call him Beetle. Melvin Beetle Ennis um, at the Von Tobel Family Park. There's now a recreation center to service the families and the children in that neighborhood. And you were an instrumental part of that coming to fruition and then allowing Melvin's legacy to live on. I know he was a dear friend. Um, what is that like? Because what end of 2021 is we're coming through COVID and we're seeing so much loss. We lost him not to COVID, but we lost him in that time. Um, never seen a funeral like that before in my life. Let me tell you folks, Melvin was memorialized at the Clark County government center amphitheater. And we pretty much almost filled up that amphitheater. Um, and then we came back later and had a community party with food and blankets and music and entertainment. And it was just the most beautiful home going that I have ever seen for a man who would have been considered a regular person who just gave to the community because his heart said this is the thing that should be done. And you are, you and he are like birds of the same feathers. So what's it like for you to spend all that time with your friend and then to see the culmination of his memory in the form of a new recreation center? Wow. Um, 
what a blessing to be around him. You know, um, I was young in my early 20s, single parent, two kids with no direction. You know, I thought I was just going to work in the hotel industry and I uh, had no mentors, no one to kind of just tell me I can do anything great. Melvin just happened to come in my life and he was the first man that didn't fail me. You know, mm-hmm. he, he didn't look like me, but he he loved me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he took me under his wing and just and just taught me how to be a man and just taught me how to tie a tie and shake a man's hand. And and uh, I remember when I first met him, he uh, he said, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to be your mentor, but I can't be your mentor because I'm black and you're Mexican. He said, I I need to I need to go find a Mexican to mentor you. So so he did. That was his journey. That was his so practical in his own way. We went in his truck. I think he had uh, his uh, truck and uh, we went to the state building and we went and found this. uh, He found this uh, Hispanic man and and (laughs) and he said, hey, so this is Alex. You know, I want you to mentor him because you look like him and you're all from the same, you know, this, this and this. I want you to mentor him. The guy goes, yeah, sure. I'll do that. I'll do that. Gave me gave me his business card. And that was the first time I ever saw a, a man look like me. I saw a business card. Wow. And I'm in my 20s like, wow, that is so cool. And uh, and he said, yeah, I'll, I'll mentor him. Well, I kept calling that guy every every like every other day, every other day because I was searching for help. Mm hmm. The guy just kind of pushed me away. He didn't even follow through. Mm. So about two months in, uh, uh, Melvin saw me and he's like, hey, man, how's that going with the mentor? And he goes, he ain't pick up my phone. He ain't, he ain't call me. He said, man, forget him, man. You can just stick with me. So that I just stuck with him for 30 something years. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, Talk about people coming together in the strangest circumstances, and, right? Yes. And uh, he just funny. ended up just opening up doors for me. You know, he he gave me an opportunity to travel to uh he, he, you know, he said one day he said, hey, Alex, I see greatness in you. And no one has ever told me that in my life. And that inspired me. And I, I brought me to a point in my life where I said, I'm going to be with this man for the rest of my life. He he saved me and my job is to protect him and uh, and to make him proud of me. And so he gave me opportunity to work for the county and and got me opportunity. He just opened up so many doors for me, not just for me, but for my family, because where I'm at career-wise, I wouldn't have had that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so he introduced me to a camp brotherhood and camp sisterhood where I met uh, Chief uh, Chief Washington and, and at the time former commissioner Weekly. And uh, they created the camp brotherhood. And here I am. Again, these are African-American children and African-American boys and <laughs> girls and everyone's African-American. And here I am. <laughs> and uh, But I promise you, I did this for 20-some years. Been in the commun- West Las Vegas community for over 20-something years. And I swear, they didn't see me as... I remember people used to come and say... They were like... Yeah. I remember people used to say, you're Mexican? <laughs> I thought you was mixed. I thought you was light-skinned. I thought you was this or that. Oh, my God. That's But, funny. you know, I, I make a joke and say, you know, I got yeah. my ancestry DNA. Mm. And, I, and I got like 8%. <laughs> <laughs> you're so funny. But, you know, the, to that point, because I spent... What I realize I have 20 years with Camp Sisterhood, Camp Sisterhood, Camp Brotherhood. And I started when I used to work with um, Commissioner Yvonne, you know, Gates and found out about camp. And camp is colorblind because I remember having an assistant um, and she was Hispanic and her son was struggling. And she was my assistant at the time. And I said, we're going to send him to camp. And she was like, well, what's camp? And I said, he'll be fine. 
we do this camp for kids. We take them up to Mount Charleston and, and Camp Sisterhood, Camp Brotherhood, to put that in context, is where we, at the end of the school year, um, first weekend after school was out, we open up spaces for between 100 to 115 kids, um, a percentage of boys, a percentage of girls, about half and half, but usually it's not quite equally split. Um, free of cost to families in the community, first come, first serve basis of who signs up, some res- some reservations, of course. Um, but we take them up to Mount Charleston, and they spend a weekend up at Camp Lee Canyon. And um, games, activities, uh, workshops, uh, respect, leadership, um, self-esteem, we just instill everything that we can, but in a fun way and in a learning and in a loving atmosphere. And what you know is that your kids are going to be well taken care of and it will be the memory of a lifetime. And we know we're doing a good job because the kids want to come back every year and they're waiting for camp to happen and the families are waiting for camp to happen. And when are the applications going to drop and how do I get my spot? And, you know, they're calling, hey, can I get a spot? Can you reserve a place? And so that's when you know that this simple program that's being done by um, you mentioned former city of Las Vegas Fire Chief Dave Washington, uh, former Clark County Fire Chief Bertrand Washington, um, former North Las Vegas Fire Captain Cedric Williams, like probation officers, EMTs, social workers, parks and rec staff, um, ministry, clergy staff, just people, volunteer and business owners all coming together, students coming together to spend some time with kids. We took like ages. We used to go down to six. I think it was eight to um, like 16. Yeah. Yeah. And we would just take them up there and divide them up by groups and put them together age-wise. We even introduced yoga. And once I brought yoga up one year, had a girl come up and do yoga. And they were like, are you you bringing that back again next year? To have the experience to be in the mountains, because a lot of kids never get out of their neighborhoods. And Melvin was always about creating peace and inclusion um, and camp was a lot of, you were a part of member, just the things you guys would do in the community. And in that vein, you carried that back home because you're a foster parent. So, I mean, you're a foster parent. Like, yeah. you didn't just do this weekend. You said, hey, I'm going to take a kid that needs the same give back. Sometimes we have to do it within our families. Like, I've had to do it within my family. But um, you welcome someone who wasn't what is that like man um the motivation behind that i i first you know a lot of people say ask me like man weren't you scared did you have any fears of doing that and i didn't only because i worked with kids for so long it became natural um i think a couple of things one is i saw my mom used to take in her her nephews from out of state that were misbehaving Mm -hmm. so they would go stay with their aunt my mom would try to get them right and then Melvin Beetle, when I used to go to his house, there'd be people walking in the house. This people just walk right in and sit on the sofa and be, "Hey, hey, daddy," and and I'd be like, "Who's that? Who's that?" <laughs> he said, "Oh, those are my sons. Those are my everybody in the community was his sons, and they all called him daddy or grandpa, uh, you know, wow. papa." And I wasn't accustomed to that, mm-hmm. and and it got to the point where they called me Uncle Alex, and uh, and I watched him just take and love everybody, and I mean, he didn't care, man. He fed him, he, he gave money in his pocket, and. And he wasn't looking for any kind of attention. So as that was going on, he kind of he planted the seed for me. My mom and him just planted the seed. And, and I was always in the back of my mind. So then when I started working with uh, working with at risk, you know, I was working with gangs 
a gang member youth. And, I, and one of the things I always ask kids is, hey, where's your father? And they say, don't know, don't have one. And my mom is raising me. And so I got to the point, I said, you know what? I need to make a change because that can't be the excuse. You know, I got a big house. Let me try one kid. And if it works, cool. And I remember the first time I had this kid, uh, I, uh, I met this, uh, I forgot the name, Westcare. And they said, you're going to interview this kid. I said, okay. And I saw this stab walk right by me. Big old person. He was like 6'5", 350. I said, man, that guy is big. And I sit in the office and I'm waiting for my kid to come in. And they bring in this kid. It's that kid. He's 6'5", 350. <laughs> and he's sitting right on the cross. And I said, my first kid is 6'5", 350. If I can handle him, I can't handle him. Exactly. <laughs> and, he's, and he had his head down. And he, he could tell he didn't want to be there. And I'm like, wow. And I'm asking him questions. He's not giving me no eye contact or nothing. Then I just asked a simple question. I said, hey, man, you like tacos? And he lifted his head up and had the most beautiful smile. And I said, man, let's go home and have tacos. (laughs) And he said, all right. He went with me, got him tacos. He stayed with me for years. Man, he's my son. I love him. He was the beginning of me opening up doors for other foster youth. And I remember he asked me. Did you ever look at my record and see, you know, this, this and this? And I said, no, nah, should I? He's like, well, you know, uh, I have anger issues and, you know, I'm out of control and all that. I said, OK, that's what that said. But that's not who you are. And he was with me and it was nothing but a blessing. Hmm. And uh, it just became a thing where I just felt like, you know what, it's the, it's what I need to do. Everyone will say stuff like, oh, I wish I can do that. I would love to do that. Now, you know, I tell them, do it. Do it. Right. I got an empty room. Do it. Just, you know, my thing is this. And they'll go, well, um, I feel like I remember somebody asked me, he goes, well, I feel like I'll fail the kid if I if I take him in my home. I said, no, you're failing the kid by not even attempting to take that kid in your home. There's a lot. I work at Child Haven on the weekends Mm. and the predominant it's predominantly black and brown in there. And to see those kids, they need a home. And um, and so, you know, I make it a point. Not only do I, you know do what I do with the kids here, but I make it a point on the weekends to inspire those kids. They allow me to come in there and do workshops with them and, and just try to help them see things in a different world. Like, you know, that you're important in this world. At this point, how many children have you fostered? Have you lost count? Has it been so many? You know, I don't know. I don't know. It's not that so many, but most kids who stay in my home, stay in my home. Like I usually get the kids that, um, that they lost parental rights. Or the parents passed away. Mm. So I have them. Uh, when I get them, for, I usually get most kids about when they're like in uh, high school. I, I, I won't work with the kids that are too young because I feel like my patients, I need to work with the ones that are a little bit older so they can. Um, it's almost like I, I got to teach them how to be a man. Man 101. I'm going to okay. teach you how to do your laundry. I'm going to teach you how to cook. I'm going to teach you how to clean. I'm going to teach you these things that you probably never were taught. And I only got this short period of window. So I want to make sure that I that I don't fail you as a man. And um, so I get these kids and they'll be with me for a year, two years. Uh, I've had some that up to three years and and their kids, they have kids and their kids call me grandpa. <laughs> and uh, and I just had one of my foster youth uh, yesterday got his high school diploma. Uh, he turned 18 and oh, nice. uh, and um, and the mother's son, he uh, just went in the Marines. And, uh, wow. And I mean, that's it's a testament to your sacrifice and your love and the give when you see the kids the appreciation is when they do have the opportunity to do something with their life 
because then it's saying, I get it. I understand. It's just like any parent, right? Even like my own dad. And you and I have often had conversations about my relationship with my father, mostly because my mother has been um, deceased. May she rest in peace for like 23 years at this point. Um, So you've always only really known me with my dad. And so the father-daughter relationship is very, for those of who know Tanya and her dad, Daddy Flanagan, is a whole character. So, Holly, a whole personality unto himself. You, you know what, I remember, I remember when I knew I was getting ready to have a daughter. And uh, I never raised girls. I've only been around boys my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first person I thought who I needed to call was you. I remember I, I, remember I called that. you and I said, listen. I want to be like your daddy. I want the love that you have for your daddy. I want my daughters to have that same love and respect for me. What do I need to do? And I remember you, what you told me. And I was just like, I yep. want to apply that with my daughters. Mm-hmm. I don't want to fail them. I said, and now we've put the big question mark out there. Well, what is it? Um, for me, I said to you, I said, make sure they always feel protected. Um, spend time. Time is, is everything. And make sure they feel protected. If it's ever someplace she doesn't want to be, don't make her stay. Always go get her. And just make time for, like, daddy-daughter dates so that she gets an understanding of how she's supposed to be treated and an understanding of the skills and qualities a good man is supposed to have. And it's just time. Right. My dad couldn't rattle the keys. I was like, where are we going? (laughs) My daddy was like, that was your partner. But that was my, you know, my mom was my best friend, but I was mama's baby and daddy's girl. Hmm. You know, I was the youngest of three children, and so I had two older brothers. So, I mean, I roughhouse, don't get me wrong. Um, I was a tomboy until I turned into a girl. And people would look at me and go, I don't see that I don't at see all. I was a tomboy <laughs> until I turned into a girl. My mother was probably so happy the day. I turned into a girl. Not that she didn't put me in dresses, not that I was running around, you know, with pants and doing all this, but just the day that I was okay, I get the dress. Let's do it. Um, Because before that, I was like, let's climb a tree and play G.I. Joe in the alley or something. So I was really, you know, I want to play football. Um, But I just think fathers are protectors, you know, the first place that makes you feel the safest daddies men men are by nature problem solvers women are by nature nurturers and so you know daddies are protectors you know um i think another part that makes me um make foster parenting easier for me as as well as parenting was I got to, my children, all my children got to be exposed to camp brotherhood, camp sisterhood, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, um, Latino youth leadership conferences, uh, camp any town, mm-hmm. um, just coming to the rec centers. And uh, so they got to be around kids and, and positive things going on. I took them to go see me when I would go and do t- teach and motivational speaking. So it, it's it's one of those things and my kids can look at now. They go, Dad, I remember when you used to take us here or you would do these things. And and uh, and I think I learned that from my grandfather. My grandfather told me when I remember when I was 18, I was still in high school. And I told him I was scared to tell him I was getting ready to be a father. And because he was the world to me mm-hmm. and he wasn't upset. And the best advice he gave me was don't buy your kids. He said, don't buy them all the toys they want. Don't Time. buy them. He said. Time. He said, take them to the park, time. take them to the zoo, mm-hmm. spend time with them. Time. They'll remember that. Time is what children remember. Yeah. Everybody loves a nice gift, but 
time is what people remember. Yeah, and that's what I do with my kids. Yeah. I think I take them. Every, I try to take them everywhere with me. And Showing them how to do things. I mean, um, as a woman, even just I remember my first job. My background as journalist, so working for newspapers. But knowing how to check my oil and change the air filter in my car, like if I was living somewhere small, because as a reporter, you start small. Mm-hmm. So you're living in a small town. You don't have all the resources that you have in other places, but just hearing those voices, you hear the voice of your parents when they teach you things. It comes back to you in those moments when you need them. It's like scripture. When you spend time with scripture, scripture comes to you in those times of need that seem like frightening moments. You can call that scripture to mind and find peace. So as parents, voices are, are kind of like that. You call that lesson to memory and it, you know, creates a sense of peace. And you start to realize how much they're preparing you for life. Um, you know, whether it's money management, relationships, workspace, um, Everything, they're just preparing you, family. It's preparation. You know, I remember um, I was going through something, and uh, I was a foster parent and uh, coaching basketball at the time, and all the kids would stay at my house. And I was going through a, I was going through a divorce, and I was struggling. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I still had to go to work every day. I still had to coach. I mm-hmm. still had to be a father. I still had to do these things. But I was struggling. And I remember uh, I, t- I would take all the kids in my suburban, we go to church. We just go to church, and uh, and uh, I remember Beetle one day said, "Man, I'm proud of you." And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "You take the kids to church." And I said, "What's that? What, proud of what?" He said, "You're teaching your kids that when you're struggling and you're hurting, go to church." And he and the kids see that, Alex. And I didn't see it that way. Mm-hmm. I was doing it for myself. Not, but he said, "But your kids see that. They need to know that." You know, when you're in need, go. And And our lives are always an example for someone. Your life is an example, even when you don't realize people are watching. I remember um, Pastor Fowler saying one time, people are watching you, even when you don't think they're watching you. So always remember to be the best you that you can be. And it, I remember getting out of the car, and it could be the strangest of places. Because one day I was getting out of the car at a grocery store. Was after work, so you know I had on business attire, and this little girl was in the parking lot with her mom, and she looked, you know, a little disheveled, you know, like, like maybe they didn't have as much, and it was like she just watched me get out of my car and walk to the store, and I could see her face light up, and it brought to mind Pastor Fowler's comment, and I was like, wow, you never know when someone's watching, because I could have got out the car. Frustrated with my day, looking grumpy, um, not pleasant on my face. Maybe my demeanor could have exuded negative energy. But instead, being in a good space or trying to portray a good space, I saw this little girl and I could see her face light up. And I could see her take in the totality. It's like when I was a little girl, I used to love to watch old movies. And so, because old movies were just, women were just so, and the attire, you know, in the middle of the day, it was, you know, sables and mink. And you were like, is that life? You know, because you're a little kid, you're growing up and you're, your world is smaller then, you know, it's, it's your community, which is great. But you're watching these movies and it's grand. 
And to someone, even though you may think you're just a normal, regular person, in that moment, you may be grand. Whatever it is, you're grand to them as you show them this example of how to be. And I think there were, it just stayed with me. You never know when you're an example to someone. You never know when someone is watching you. So remember to be the best person that you can be. I like that. And that always stayed with me. It has been a pleasure to have you, to have my friend spend some time with me this morning. Um, I hope you enjoyed the coffee and the conversation. I certainly enjoyed having you. Um, I always allow my guests to share their socials. You have good information. You do great things. Um, We talked about the Melbourne Innes Recreation Center, but you're actually located at... I'm located at Parkdale Recreation Center, which is at 3200 Ferndale Street. We're on the east side over by Boulder Station. Okay. So anybody who might be interested in knowing a little bit more about Alex Bernal, what he does and how he does what he does for kids in the community, searching for some answers, looking for some programs, Parkdale is the space, 3200 Ferndale on the east side. Any social handles you want to share before we get out of here? No, I think I'm good. All right. Well, thank you for being my friend, and thank you for getting up this morning and spending some time with me and sharing your story in this Man on the Street segment of The Scoop on 91.5. Jazz and more. I want to thank you for tuning in to The Scoop with me, Tanya Flanagan. And I want to invite you to get social with me. I'm on Facebook and Twitter. My name is my handle, T-A-N-Y-A-F-L-A-N-A-G-A-N. You can also find me on Instagram at Tanya Almanize Flanagan. And if you have a thought, an opinion, or a suggestion, don't hesitate to shoot me an email to tanya.flanagan at unlv.edu. Thanks again for joining in. Stay safe and have a great week.